Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Go to James 4. James chapter 4. Tonight our title again, Eight Things to Do to Totally Whip the Devil. Eight things to do to totally whip the devil. We'll go over some foundation scriptures to, to get into where we're going to go to at the uh, close of this service to go over those eight things and share some verses with those as well. But we're going to begin in James chapter 4. Point number one on your notes, the Bible. Say the Bible. <clears throat> the Bible is the best help that has ever been written. It is the best help that has ever been written. Of all the books on the planet, it is the best help in your life that's ever been written uh, to help you defeat the devil. Now, there's nothing wrong with complimentary books that people write, as long as they're given scripture, as long as they're giving you things that go along with it. But even though those are good, they still can't take the place of the Bible. In the book of James, we see clearly here how to get the devil out of our lives. Aren't you glad God shows us how? Yes. James chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 6. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he, speaking of God, gives more grace. Now, I've told you this many times. Don't ever get bored of hearing it. Don't ever get bored of seeing it. That tells me and you, this is written to believers that are already born again. There is more grace to be given. Therefore, there's more grace to be received. Grace here is heaven's help. Say heaven's help. God wants to give us help. God wants to give us help in every realm of our life especially in dealing with the, the uh, effects of Satan that comes against our life. So here he tells us that God himself will give us more grace. How does he give us this additional help? Therefore, he tells us, he says, God resists the who? The proud, but he gives this grace to who? How many think you want to become humble? So to get this additional help from God, we got to be humble. Now, there's a lot I would love to teach on that for about the next two hours and go nowhere else but that one verse. But I'll just real quick uh, just deal with that in relationship to the start of the next verse and touch on it for just a second. Verse 7, therefore, therefore, what do you mean therefore? Well, because there's more grace available, more of heaven's help. He doesn't give it to the proud. Who does he give it to? The humble. Then he tells you what you need to do. Submit to God. I'll guarantee you, underline those three words. Put a little uh, arrow of that going back to the word humble. Because the truth is, if you are humble, what are you doing? You're submitting to God. I said it on Sunday. I'm going to say it again tonight. Selective obedience be, uh, begins to bring selective believing. If I'm selective in my obedience to God, you know, I, I, you know this just keeps coming up in, in what we teach on and keeps coming up in my time with the Lord and reading the scriptures, et cetera, et cetera, in the day we're living in. Listen, doing the Bible is not always easy. It's not always easy. I guarantee you, uh, I've often said in marriage counseling with women, I think you have the tougher part of having to stay submitted to a husband, especially if they're not obeying the word. But yet a husband has a tough decision of walking out what the Bible teaches to in obedience to God to be the head of his home. But not trying to say, you know, which is harder than the other. <clears throat> but when it comes to marital problems, it's not always easy to do what the Bible says. A lot of times people, of course, because of situations they're in, they obviously don't like that situation. They want things to change. They're not changing as fast as they would like. They want a way out. Well, no different than the aspects of what we deal with in life financially. Or we deal with things in the area of health, right? Wouldn't it be great if everything just changed in an instant? If everything would just happen that quick. But it doesn't. It doesn't always happen that quick. When it comes to even health issues, sometimes we don't see instant manifestations of healing. Even Jesus himself literally prayed for a gentleman who was blind. And then he said, tell me what you see. He began to see, but he said, I see men like trees walking. He laid his hands on him a second time. So not everything comes instantaneous. But I will promise you this. If you stick to the word, it works. And you have to humble yourself to do that. To stay submitted to God is to be submitted to his word because he and his word are one. So if you want to truly submit to God, stick to the Bible. 
Now, that has a twofold application as we talked about even on Sunday. And that twofold application, as we'll get back into in our series on Sunday morning, of understanding meekness, receiving the Word of God, James 1, with meekness, same thing. Same thing, humility. So this is a similar type of statement. He's just bringing it back up here in the fourth chapter. Understand submission to God is the same as what he said in James 1. Receive the Word of God with meekness. So how do I submit to God? I receive the word with humility, meekness. Meaning what? I acknowledge, number one, everything it says about me. Quit reasoning out, arguing with, with your brain, anything the Bible says about you. Take the word of God for what it says, period, as it relates to you and as what it tells you to do. We'll say it again. As it relates to you And as to what it tells you a New Testament believer should do, if you want to walk out what God has, accept God's word, period. Quit trying to reason it out. Quit trying to argue with it. There's a lot of people still run themselves down because they're thinking of themselves from the natural, from a physical being, from what they've done in the natural, not who they are as a spirit being. So they say a lot of things about themselves that aren't true. Anything you say about yourself that's contrary to who God says you are in Christ right now is a lie. It's a lie. It's not the truth. I believe God. How about you? See, I say it all the time. How many believe God's word? I said, how many believe God's word? How many believe it's truth? Well, what about what he says about you? What he says about you, who you now are in Christ, you've got to accept with absolute humility. That's who I am. That's what I have. That's what I can do. Number two, because obviously that's what I can do, I also cannot argue with God when it comes to doing the word. You want the kind of marriage God wants? Let me help you. You got to do what he said. That's not always easy. I promise you. You want to raise godly kids? You got to do what the Bible said. How many parents know that's not always easy? It comes with challenges, right? But I guarantee you what, anything, my dad used to say this, who knows where that statement came from, but in the sense of even talking about relating to God, it applies. Anything worth having is worth working for. To do the word of God takes a work. Meaning what? It takes effort takes effort. If it took no effort, everybody would be doing it. Right? It takes effort to get to God's house. It takes effort to get into the Word of God. It takes effort to pray. Right? If you put no effort to pray, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to talk to God. If you put no effort into reading the Bible, guess what you're going to do? You're not going to fellowship with God. Right? It takes no effort to sit on a couch or sit on a recliner and just sit there like a vegetable, right? And just turn on a TV and just listen to whatever's being said. It takes no effort to do that. But it takes effort. You know, it takes effort to build relationships. Yeah. It took effort on my part to become a husband to my wife. Still takes effort for me to maintain that. It's not as hard as it was when I first started because I've learned a lot of it. But it still takes effort. It's, it's something you have to apply every day. But I'm going to help you. Listen, anything worth having is worth putting forth the effort. Right. <clears throat> Amen. Yes. So you got to understand to submit to God, guess what? Therefore, it takes what? Effort. It does take effort. So clearly he says, but when you do, I've got more help for you. Now, I'm going to say this one more time in relationship to what we're doing in obedience to the Bible so we don't look at it as a work in the sense like I'm trying to earn something from God. God, in his word, his word is spirit. John 6, 63. His word is spirit. And it is what? It is life. So therefore, it's a law. Everything that's of God's spirit is a law. It's a spiritual law. Can't change because God can't change. How many of you love it when we talk about God's promises? Oh, oh, God's made all these promises and God doesn't change. Oh, everybody's, yeah, praise the Lord, glory to God. Yeah, God doesn't change. But how about when it comes to his word? How about, it come, how about when it comes to what he said in his word? He can't change the laws for you. He can't, because you don't like applying that to your life today because of what you're going through. He can't change it for you. If he changes it for you, then he's lying. He does change. And he's not the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then we always got to try to figure out from month to month. So what's God, how's God doing this this week? How's God doing this next week? How's God doing this the month from now? So see, but God doesn't change. So if there wasn't spiritual laws, this planet wouldn't be sitting here. You wouldn't be here. This planet is upheld by the word of his power. That's a spiritual law. His word's spirit. It's being held here by a spiritual law. Man's not going to save it. Man's not going to save the planet. I don't think you should trash it. I'm just telling you you're not going to save it. It's going to burn up. We're not going to burn it up. You listening? Emission of gases from cows ain't going to burn it up. That's not going to burn it up. God's going to burn it up. 
God is. He's going to cast it into a lake of fire. So you got to understand this about God. Submitting to him is getting in line with his program for my life. The difference between you as a believer and one who's not, you can walk in it by revelation. Listen to me. You can walk into, in word, into obedience to God's word by revelation because the word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing, but not to us who are being saved. Not to us who knows God. To us who are saved, it's what? It's life. It's life, man. So realize to a non-believer, they could operate in, under God's spiritual laws to some, de- some degree because giving and receiving is a spiritual law. Anybody can operate it. You know, you can be a farmer and operate in this law and see it work and raise harvests and crops and not even be born again. Because it's a spiritual law. But if you're a believer and you start applying God's word as it relates to your life, it's revelation to you. It's not just something you're doing because you feel like you have to. So again, thank God for more grace. Amen? And that grace is going to help you do what? Overcome the enemies you're about to see. Watch what this grace in James 4 is all about here. Watch this. God gives more grace. Therefore, he resists the proud. Say, I don't want to be that person. So who's the proud? I'm sorry. I'm going a little further in this. Who's the proud? The one who doesn't submit to God. The one who doesn't accept what God says about him. The one who doesn't do things the way God said. You're proud. You're you're proud. Well, let me help you. You are not submitting to God. So what has God got to do? He's got to oppose you. It, It breaks my heart. Seriously, I mean it. It breaks my heart. To hear somebody who's disobeying the Bible and they say, I've, been, I've, I've received counsel from God. Let me help you. If you're not walking in the light of what this Bible said to you, darling, you ain't getting counsel from God. Because God never violates his word. And then they think what they're doing is right because somebody told them something. Well, let me help you. You better back it up with scripture. Better prove it from the Bible because this is an absolute. This is the truth that sets you free. So he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, what should we do? Verse 7, what should we probably do if we want? Anybody here want more help from God? What should you do? 7, submit to God. And then do what? Resist the devil. He will do what? You know what? Let me help you. When the devil tries to get you lazy, not going out, walking in the light of what the Bible teaches, guess what you can do? You can resist him. How? By doing what you know God said. So when you submit to God, you automatically do what? Resist the devil. What will he do again? What will he do again? Notice verse 8, draw near to God. So how do you draw near to him? Submission. Submission. Because see, God doesn't change. Amen? So he's already on an agenda. Remember what Jesus said? Even when Jesus was here, was the Father literally here himself? No, he's in heaven. But he's here by his Spirit. Remember what Jesus said? He said the Father's already at work. Guess what? He hadn't stopped working. I said he hadn't stopped working. Come on, y'all like that song. Even when I can't see it, he's, well, he is, he's working, right? So God's working. Say God's working. How many want to actually have, in the context of what you're walking at in your life, more of help from God? Yes. Guess what you got to do? You got to hook up with God in the way he's working. That's right. You can't do things opposed to what he says because he's not going to hook up with you on that. He's not going to turn around and stop doing what he has set in motion for himself to do the way he works to now accommodate you and do something out of line with his will. If he did that, everything falls apart. Because now he's lied and he's not the God that he says he is. But thank God he is. So, what should we do? Draw near to God. So, how do you draw near to God? Submission. Submission. Let me explain this. If I'm drawing near to God, if I'm submitting to God, what am I doing? So, God's working. Say, God's working. Come here, Grayson. Help me quick. Hurry, man. So, let's say Grayson represents God working in the earth. Real slow. Turn around. Face this way. All right? Whoa, whoa. Slow, slow, slow. Walk real slow. So, let's say he represents God and he's working. He's headed a certain direction of working. So, I don't want to submit to him, meaning I'm not going to do things his way. So, I'm going to do things my way. Am I drawing near to God? Why not? Stop right there, Grayson. Why not? Why am I not drawing near to God? Because God's already working. You listening? But if I don't submit to God, if I don't submit to doing this God's way, if I don't walk in the footsteps of God, I'm not drawn near to him. See, a lot of Christians don't know this. Where you are not submitting to God, you are not drawn near to God. Therefore, what am I actually doing? I'm drifting further away from God. Come on. But what happens if I draw near to God? He's obviously going to do what? Draw near to me. You know why? Because I'm going his way. I'm going his direction. How many want God's help? 
So if I submit to God and I'm walking in His way, guess what I'm doing? I'm drawing near to Him. What's He automatically doing? What's He automatically doing? He's automatically drawing near to me because I'm drawing near to Him. Amen. Thank you. And this is what people don't see. If you're not submitting to God, doing things God's way, well, guess what? He's not changing for you. Tell your neighbor, you're pretty smart. Go ahead. But you're not as smart as God. I love Quest Gatlin's a good friend of ours. I love Quest. I love the whole Gatlin family. And Quest posted a little video the other day. It was so powerful, which he's experiencing in his church, one year old. He said, where is everybody in church? Where are all these believers that started coming to my church that say that they're still part of my church, but they don't show up to church? Where are they? Evidently, they're smarter than God. Evidently, they don't think they need God's help because they don't need to be in God's house. But God's got help for you every time you come to God's house. I love something one of our teenagers said during the pastor appreciation deal. What, what is it that you have learned from pastor that if you could pass on to your kids, you would say uh, has helped your life that you would pass on to your kids? I would say that when you're in need of help, you get, you get to church because he's going to hear from the Holy Spirit and have something to say to you that will help you. That's exactly right. See, here's the problem. A lot of people wait till they get where they need help. But you know what? You already need help. I'm preaching way better than you're amen right now. See, you already need help whether you know it or not. You know why? There's stuff's going to come tomorrow. There's stuff's come. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you. There's stuff coming down the pike in a week and a month from now. You don't even know it's coming. You don't even know. None of you knew COVID was coming. See, you don't even know. You don't even know what's coming to attack you next. You listening? Satan does. He's got plans set up for you. He's got snares, the Bible says. But guess who else knows what's out there? God does. God does. And see, when you miss out getting in God's help... Get God's house to get the help. And this ain't just about what I need immediately right now. God's trying to help set you up for your tomorrow. God's trying to give you stuff that will help you in your tomorrows. That when that comes, guess what you're going to do? You're going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. I remember. Pastor just preached on this about a month ago. Oh, I'm ready for this, man. I see this coming, man, like black and white, you know, like day and night. Praise the Lord. I'm not falling for this. I remember Pastor's sermon. It wasn't mine. It was the Word of God. See, a lot of people, Quest had a good point. A lot of people, they wait until they get in trouble. Now they'll run to God's house. You listening? But if they're not like in trouble at the moment, all of a sudden it's like, I don't have time. I got other stuff to do. And they don't realize they're missing out on the help God has for your tomorrows. Because God's trying to help you. I say, God is trying to help you. If you submit to God, Guess what? You're resisting the devil and you're drawing near to him and he will do what? Draw near to you. But you're not drawing near to him if you're not submitting. You're not doing it. Notice this. Verse 8. Therefore you should also do what? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's a part we still need to do. If we're submitting to God, we need to cleanse our hands. Meaning what? We need to get our hands off of everything that's hurtful to our life. If it's hurtful to our life, we need to let it go. We need to get it out of our life. Relationships, things we do, things we listen to. If it's harmful to my life, get rid of it. Cleanse your hands. It's just going to hurt your life. Why hold on to it? Why make things worse than what they're already going to be? Right? And purify your heart. How do you purify your heart? He told you back in James chapter 1. It wasn't written chapter and verse, just a letter. But how did he tell you to purify your heart in James chapter 1? You can't be double-minded. Cannot be double-minded. Because purifying your heart means i got to have a single focus on God. And if I don't, I'm double-minded. Therefore, guess what? I'm not going to be as strong spiritually. I'm going to allow my reasoning to continue to battle with my spirit man. And I'm going to be double-minded. So my heart is not going to be pure because my mind's still going to be affected by the world. That's a whole other subject. All right? Number one on your notes. Lot in this, lot in these set of verses right here. All right, but you should go back and listen. That's why I said I could take the time on these verses. I could just teach for about two, three hours, actually a couple weeks or more, just a series on those verses. So powerful. I said so powerful. People just read over them. God gives more grace. Submit to God. Resist the devil. I'm not doing anything wrong. Da, 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 da. But yet they, they don't realize much of what their life is about is not submitting to God. It's just still doing what they want to do without even questioning, is that right? Is that what God wants for me? Is that what he, where he wants me to go? Does he want me listening to that? Does he want me to have that friend? Does he want me going there? Or does he want me going here? Where does, what does he want me to do? Are you listening? 1A, we, just, we are to submit to God. This includes doing what? A1, being in his perfect will. So how do you get in his perfect will? The word. 
The Word is His will. You walk in the light of the Word, you're walking in His perfect will, which includes A2, living a holy life, and A3, living in the Bible, because the Bible has answers. The Bible has answers. God is speaking to you every time you open that book if you'll listen. Say it. Lift your Bible up. Say, this is my God. No, come on like you mean it. This is my God speaking to me. This is God speaking to you. So, if I have a question for you. If this is God speaking to you, why do you not want to hear from Him? Your spirit does. But see, your flesh wants to get in the way. So this is why you need to live in your Bible. Because if you are, guess who you're hearing from? Not the devil. You're hearing from God. And therefore, guess what you're getting? Help. Getting preparation. Amen? 1B, we're also to resist what? The devil. The devil. Here's the key to that. All right? Watch this. you got to learn to stop paying attention, number one, to the devil himself. you got to stop paying attention to him. And that's a whole other subject in itself. But the point is, quit listening to all his garbage and stuff that he tries to bring to you. Example, B2, his tricks, the way he tries to lead you into stuff. Three, leading to what? Fear, confusion, worry, or any other of his harmful poisons. So understand anything relating to those things is a work of Satan. And I should just stop doing what? Stop giving attention to things that cause you to get confused, worry, or fearful in any way. Thank you for all your amends about that. 1C, if you do, what will the devil do? How many of you know that one of the reasons he hangs around is because you pay attention to him? Right? We, we were talking about this the other night. So at our new house, you know, we have a, the, the guys that was there before, they were military. He got like security cameras, four security cameras around the house. And there's a monitor, of course, you see, you know, and stuff like that. And so a while back, we kind of got him up and running on our phone where you could see him on our phone. And I brought him up one night. We were sitting in the living room and I saw a cat, you know, walking down. Because we have all fenced off, closed in, you know. He's walking down our driveway. Here goes a cat. And then Kathy mentioned the day, you know, about her seeing this cat. And I said, don't you dare feed that cat. So she did this. She did this with a cat over here when we lived over here. She started feeding the cat. Well, guess what the cat's going to do? They hang out at your house. You know why? Because you are reaching out to it. You are paying attention to it. Come on. See, listen to me. When you pay attention to the devil, listen, listen, listen. I want you to get it. You might want to write this down. If you pay attention to the devil, what are you doing? You're feeding him. You're feeding him. You pay attention to what he's feeding you. You're feeding him. And guess what? He loves it. He'll hang around. So you got to understand, quit paying attention to all this garbage that causes fear, worry, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I just don't know how to do that. Go to the Word. Get your attention on the Word. Back up to James chapter 1. Back up to James chapter 1. This is powerful stuff, folks. This is what breaks my heart as a pastor. I can only pray that the people that I see, all these empty seats that aren't here tonight, that they're on that live stream. Because you don't understand what goes through the heart of a pastor to know, I know who needed to hear this tonight. I don't see them. I hope they're listening, but I don't see them. And then people all the time come back and they go through situations, circumstances in life and stuff. Say, Pastor, could you help me? I had a message about that. If you'd have been here a month ago, you'd already got the help you needed. Probably could have avoided this. But you weren't here to listen. Or maybe you just didn't get it. Thank God for technology today. Thank God we can keep up with stuff a whole lot easier. Amen? Think about Jesus today. You better get to where he's at. Or you wouldn't hear him. Uh, you got it a whole lot easier today, folks. A whole lot easier. Number two, one of the biggest ways the devil gets... I know people get upset when I talk about church attendance. I'm just not... I'm not talking about those that are streaming or you're here. I'm talking about ones that aren't. You know how important this message is? And how important it is they understand how to make sure they can walk in victory over the enemy? Uh, so I guarantee you, if you didn't hear this message or don't go back and get it, you can't blame anybody but yourself because God gave you the answers right here. Again, number two, one of the biggest ways the devil gets us to convince us that we are going through hard times is because of what? God. One of the biggest ways the devil gets us, gets us is to, the way he gets us, meaning gets a hold of us, is to convince us. How does he get us? How does he get a hold of us? To convince us that we are going through hard times because of what? Because of God. This, one of the way he, this is one of the ways he gets to us. Understand this, though, however, guess what? It's only a lie. It's not true. I said it's not true. God, God is not the one causing you to go through hard times. James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures what? Temptation. Which is another way to say testing. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those 
who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted or tested, is another word there for it in the Greek, I am tempted or tested by God. Why? For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt or test anyone with what? Any kind of evil. If it's evil and it's testing you, it ain't from God. God does not test people with evil. He has no evil to test you with. 14, each one is tempted or tested when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now, who's doing the enticing? Satan is. What's he enticing you with? Carnal, fleshly, old Adamic nature desires. 15, then when desire has conceived, if it's allowed and and it conceives in your life and you don't deal with it, it'll give birth to sin, simply missing the mark with God. Sin, therefore, when it's full grown, what does it bring forth? It don't bring forth the life that God has for us. It brings the actual opposite, death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Why? Because every good gift and every perfect gift, underline it, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Where does it come from? Above. Everything that's good and everything that's perfect never came from anywhere else but God. It all comes from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights. That means the Father of spirits because we are spirit beings with whom there is, is no, no variation. Come on. Or shadow of turning. God has no evil to give. There's no variation in him or shadow. Shadow of turning means like, you know, you could have a building here. The sun begins, of course, in the east. You got the shadow over here. By the time you get to evening, guess where the shadow is going to be? Opposite side. It's going to change, but God's not that way. Shadow of turning means there's no variation with him. He's the same all the time. He doesn't change. What is he? He's a good God. What does he have to give you? Nothing but good. Good and perfect gifts. Can I get a better amen? Number two, again, so this is one of the biggest ways the devil gets to us. Is he, he gets to us is to convince us that we're going through hard times because of God. Say it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. 2A, God never tempts or tests anyone. Uh, he never does. He never tempts. I left a, a T out there. Sorry again for the typo. Uh, he never tempts or tests anyone with what? Evil, pain, or hurt. Doesn't do it. Say he doesn't do it. Uh, to be every good gift and perfect gift, never evil, comes down from where? It comes down from above, from our Lord. It's never evil. It's always good. Amen? So don't ever fall for the lie, something you're going through that's bad. You know, go to First Peter 5. You know, the old religious beliefs of people. Well, you know, God just allowed this sickness to come on me to teach me something. No, he don't have no sickness to give you to teach anything. Why would Jesus himself go about healing all who were oppressed of the devil and then all of a sudden now God's changed his mind after Jesus left and now he's going to give you some kind of disease or sickness to teach you something? No. No, well, God just let me go through this hardship, this hard time, no finances, no, no needs met, uh, obviously just to teach me something. No. No, what determines if you're going through such times? You do. You do, based on whether or not you're obeying God, based on whether or not you're doing what God gave you the ability to do to get wealth. Doesn't mean you may not face a financial challenge if Satan attacks you, but if you know how to deal with him, you can get rid of him. And you can change that pretty quick. I said you can change it pretty quick. If you know your authority in God, and he really is the one that's trying to attack your finances, guess what? God can help you deal with it, and you can also deal with with your authority. If you're a tither, God rebukes the devourer. So he's already being rebuked by God. Aren't you glad about that? It's amazing how many people want to kick out the tithing verses. I guess you don't want God rebuking the devourer for you anymore. I'm glad he does for me in Jesus' name. Number three on your notes. Just because the devil is chasing you. Now, don't run around to, oh, the devil's chasing me. No, it just means he's after every believer he can go after. He's doing everything he can to try to get believers to falter. Well, just because he is doesn't mean that you have to do what? Give way to him. Matter of fact, you ought to turn the tables on him. You ought to be chasing him. You ought to be running him down. You listening? You ought to be kicking him out. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Now listen to these verses. Be sober, be vigilant. Be what? Come on, say it with me out loud. Be what? Sober and be... Why? Why do I need to be sober? Why do I need to be vigilant? I'll come back to it. Because your adversary, you have an adversary. Because your adversary, the devil, what's he doing? He's walking around. He's walking about like a roaring lion. Didn't say he's a roaring lion. Say he's walking about like one. He has a big mouth. Because he's a liar. 
He's a liar. He's trying to convince you he can harm you, hurt you, destroy your family, take everything you got. I guarantee it's an absolute lie. He's been defeated. He's been put under your feet. But he'll, he'll sound really big. He comes about like a roaring lion. What's he doing? What's he doing? Seeking whom he may devour. Well, there you go, Pastor. Why would it say he's seeking he, whom he may devour if obviously he can't do that? He can't unless you let him. I said he can't unless you let him. Because if he could, then the, obviously the scriptures are a lie. Jesus did not defeat him, but he did. Uh, then the scriptures would be untrue that he's not under our feet, but he is. So realize this is why we got to be sober and vigilant because we do have an adversary. It's not people. It's the devil. Demons. They're trying to take advantage of us. How? Deception and seduction. Verse 9. What are we supposed to do? Resist him. How? Steadfast in the faith. Underline it. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Are you resisting him if you're not submitting to God? No. No, we'll tie back into that James verse in just a minute. So resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. Now, why does he say that? Because when you get into a hard time, hard challenge, whatever, you know what the devil's going to do? He's going to try to isolate you. He's going to make you feel like, well, I'm the only one going through this. No, you're not the only one going through it. And you're not the only one ever, ever, whoever has. There's no temptation uh, uncommon to man. They're all common to man. All of us have been tempted by the same things, gone through the same challenges. And all that means is if you look at other believers who knew what to do, they walked in victory, so can you. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Can I get a better amen? Number three, uh, 3A, what are we supposed to be? Sober and vigilant. Sober and vigilant. Sober and Vigilant, vigilant, <laughs> sober and vigilant. I'm trying to hurry too much. Write this down. What's sober? So sober here means that you and I, as very clear according to Scripture, are not falling asleep spiritually. The word sober refers to not becoming spiritually lazy. Another word for sober would mean to fall asleep. So a lot of people just think it means to get drunk. Well, obviously, if you're drunk, you're kind of uh, out of your normal thinking, out of your normal way of operating. In the sense, when you're asleep, guess what you are? You're out of your normal way of operating. You're not as conscious of what's going on. So the term sober, biblically in the Greek here, means don't become spiritually lazy. Now, he warns you not to become spiritually lazy. Then he tells you what to do, not to do, not to see that happen. Next word. So therefore, you should be what? Vigilant. Vigilant meaning what? I'm paying attention. Paying attention to my life. Paying attention to what I'm doing. Paying attention to my family. What we're listening to. Where we're going. Who's affecting us. Who's not. I'm not just going to sit here idly by and think that Satan's not going to try to take advantage of my life. I'm going to be vigilant. I'm going to be vigilant to keep doors closed. I don't just mean natural doors. You know what I'm talking about. I'm going to be vigilant to keep doors closed in my life. I'm going to be vigilant to watch my life that I don't give place to the enemy. And if I am, I'm going to correct it. I'm going to fix it. Right? So you can't just go through life and just wait for stuff to happen. You should be vigilant. You should be on the offensive and say, nope, I'm going to pay attention to my life. Say, pay attention. So again, back to sober. Sober means I'm not going to become spiritually lazy. Therefore, I'm going to be what? Vigilant. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to pay attention to my life, how I'm living, what I'm doing, what I'm listening to. I'm not just going to, just like our series on Sunday morning, thinking like God thinks. Well, guess what you need to do? You ever thought about what you're thinking about? That's being vigilant. That's being vigilant. Am I allowing thoughts that I shouldn't? Am I just thinking about stuff randomly that I shouldn't be thinking about? That's not in line with God because if it's not, it ain't going to help me walk like God walks. Right? So we got to be vigilant. Praise the Lord. But if we do, guess what? We can then, verse 9, resist Satan steadfast in the faith. So how do we resist him steadfast in the faith here? Uh, 3B, resist him. 3C, how? By being steadfast in the faith, 3D. So this comes from the Amplified. This will amplify this verse a little bit to help us understand being steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the faith is rooted, established, strong, immovable, and determined. I like that. Steadfast in the faith, rooted, established, strong, immovable, and determined. So if I'm resisting the devil, according to James chapter 4, what am I doing? If I'm resisting the devil, according to James chapter 4, verse 7, what am I doing? I'm submitting to God. I'm submitting to God. What's submission to God? Faith. His faith. What's Hebrews 11? God said, go do this. What'd they do? If they were submitted, they went and did it, and the Bible called it faith. 
So how do I resist Satan steadfast in the faith? I don't just wait till a challenge comes. I'm living by faith. I'm walking in obedience to God. I'm walking by faith. So if I'm walking by faith, guess what I'm doing? I'm rooted. Rooted means it's a lifestyle to me. Hallelujah. Establish means, again, this is a commitment aspect. Establish means I've learned it and I keep learning it. I've learned it and I keep learning it. I'm rooted and I'm learning and I keep learning. Strong. Strong means what? What's your faith in? See, what's your faith in? It's not in me. He's not saying steadfast in the faith is, oh, you got to be strong. Wait a minute. You do have to be strong, but the Bible tells you how to be strong. Be strong in the Lord. So you're strong in the Lord. You're strong in what he's done for you. See, your strength comes from acknowledging. Listen, you ready for this? If you want to be strong in the Lord, it comes from acknowledging what Christ did for you. You're not strong in the Lord in context to what the Bible teaches if you're not acknowledging what Christ did for you. I'm strong in the Lord when I acknowledge what Jesus did for me. When the devil attacks, I'm not going to be strong in myself by just saying, oh, i got to stand up against him. I can't give in. No, what do I do? I acknowledge what Christ did for me, and now I'm strong in the Lord. That's what he's talking about, uh, what he's talking about, about being steadfast in the faith. Immovable. Say immovable. Meaning what? I am not going to be moved from this position. Not going to do it. Not going to get focused on things in the natural. Well, stick with the Word of God. Say, stick with the Word of God. I love this, determined. What's that mean? I'm not backing down. You're not backing me down, devil. I don't care what you bring my way. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I feel. I'm determined. I'm not quitting. Jesus' name. I'm not a quitter. Say, I'm not a quitter. Say this, God didn't make quitters. He made me. And I'm not a quitter. So this is powerful. You want to take time later to study it? You could take an awesome, awesome study into the scriptures about being steadfast in the faith by being looking up verses. There's all kinds of verses on this. Rooted, established, all relating to faith. Strong, immovable, determined. And there you go. I guarantee you, you're going to walk in victory in Jesus' name. Luke chapter 10. All my Star Wars fans, go to Luke. Use the faith, Luke. Use the faith, Luke. Chapter 10. They did, yeah, I know. They, uh, uh, Emily and, her, and uh, yeah, they did a Star Wars. How long did that go? How, long, what, what, how far did you make it? You got to be kidding. You had three more? Seriously? How much popcorn did you eat? One bag, that's all? Huh? Oh, okay. It's a little slower. Not as easy to do. Gotcha. Luke chapter 10. You there? Luke chapter 10. Tell your neighbor, I'm sure glad you came tonight. Hallelujah. If you're online, say, I'm glad I'm hooked up tonight. Praise the Lord. Luke 10, 17. The 70, Jesus has sent them out, remember, to go out and do what he had done. In the first part of this chapter, they came back. They returned with joy. What they return with? What they return with? What they return with? You know why a lot of Christians ain't walking in joy is because they're not obviously doing what they can to walk in victory as a child of God. Because when you do, you guess what? You, do? you win. Yes. Let me help you. It, you don't, you're not in joy when you lose. No. I've never seen a team lose a game and just, just, I mean, they're so excited. I'm so glad we lost. <laughs> Woohoo! Aren't you glad we lost, boys? Yeah, I can't tell you. I just couldn't be more happy than I am now that we lost. Nobody's happy when they lose. When you fight the fight of faith, guess what? You don't lose. I said, you don't lose. What do you return with? Joy. So notice the 70 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons, not just what they do, but the demons themselves are subject to us in your name. Because they went out doing what? Healing the sick. Well, that's not always a demon you're dealing with. That could be a sickness or a disease, obviously. But now they're even saying, not only that, but even the demons obeyed us. They were subject to us. How were they subject to us? Underline it. In your name. In your name. 18, he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 19, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, over all the power. Say all. All the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What if it does? You're not walking in your authority. Not walking in your authority. But if you do, how many believe the Bible? He said, nothing will hurt you. 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this authority, which a lot of people do. But rejoice what? That the spirits 
I don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather what? That your names are written in heaven. Reason you have this authority is because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You ever thought about that? My name. Your name. It's penned. It's in a book. Daryl. Lee. Baker. It's in a book in heaven. Your name. Your name. It's been written down in a book. In heaven. It's right there in a book. Which means what? You have authority. You have a position in God. Oh, wake them up, Lord Jesus' name. Number four, recognize and use your God-given authority. Don't just recognize it. Learn how to use your God-given authority. How? Through the name of Jesus. We got to be careful about just always saying that in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I mean, I get reminded by the Holy Spirit at times. Because you got to realize the purpose for that name is to release authority. Amen? 4A, you have been given the authority, which means what? Delegated power. Whose power? God's. To do what? Trample on all the power of the enemy. We allow far too much in our life because we're not utilizing the authority God gave us. We either don't understand it, don't believe in it, or don't know how to use it. But you use it by the name of Jesus. How does, how does it work? By faith in the name. What do you mean faith in the name? What Jesus accomplished while he was here by conquest and fulfilled. And in being raised from the dead, he gave us his name, which is now above every name because of what he did to accomplish victory for us. Can I get a better amen? 4B, you release this delegated power through the name of Jesus, faith in that name. Faith, faith, faith in what he accomplished when you speak that name. 4C, you realize therefore you have this right because of your name being written in heaven. The reason I have this right, the reason you have this right, because your name, seriously, you ought to go to bed tonight and think about it. There's this book in heaven. Lord only knows how big or what it looks like. It's pages, man. Probably alphabetical order. And if you flip back to the bees, there's Daryl, Lee Bay. Somebody wrote it in there. An angel wrote it in there, probably. But it's written. It's literally there. Are you listening? It's not some imaginary thing, not just some imaginary statement. My name, your name is written in this book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And that means I have authority. Jesus said so. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. That gives you the authority. Hallelujah. Go to Acts 16. We won't look up all these verses for the sake of time. So some of these are just references for you. You can check out later. There's a couple that I want to go through. But now, on the basis of what we've obviously seen of Scripture, and there's a whole lot more than what we taught on tonight, what are the eight things that we can do to totally whip the devil? What are the eight things that we can do to totally whip the devil? Number one, a lot of people don't think about it. You must rise up. You must get mad at your condition. Huh? What? Yeah, you must get mad at your condition. Because if it comes from the devil, you should not be complacent about it. You should not accept it. I guarantee you what, the only way you're going to defeat an enemy, you better want to, you want to get, get mad to the degree that you better want to defeat that enemy if you want to overcome them. Amen? You should not put up with, nor be happy about, nor in any way accept, nor in any way even think that it's okay of any aspect of the work of Satan in your life is acceptable. Wrong. I said wrong. And you should get a righteous anger. There should be a righteous indignation. I don't, there's no reason. My, my body doesn't have a right to have this because of what Jesus did. You listening? He, Satan has no right to keep me in poverty because I've been delivered from it. Amen. Satan has no right to take over my family because I have authority here. But see, a lot of people, they just get complacent. It's amazing even with family. I mean, a lot of people don't really take a warrior stance against the attack of the enemy on their family. They're battling with their family. It's okay, I'll let that sit on you so you pick up on it. They're battling with their family. Your family's not your battle. Demons are. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Not even your family. They're flesh and blood. Woo, 
you're preaching pretty good, Pastor, even though we're being really silent. We're just thinking about it, I know. But my point is, if we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, guess what? My battle isn't with my family. It's against the works of Satan that try to continue to stir up stuff to try to cause problems within my family. Well, this one person, okay, so if they're going to submit to the devil, that's fine. If they're going to listen to him, that's fine. But around you, you can take authority over that. You listening to me? When they're around you, you have authority over demons, whether, whether they like it or not. That's a fact. I said, that's a fact. They can let the demon hang with them, but you can, you can shut the demon up. Now, don't, don't run around saying everybody in your family is demon-possessed that doesn't agree with you and they're mad at you and all this kind of stuff. It's not always a demon that might necessarily be there, but they're being influenced in some way by the carnal nature of the flesh or the work of Satan that goes back to him anyway. Amen? So what do you got to do? Rise up, get mad at your condition. Acts 16. Really, Pastor? Yeah, New Testament, uh, book of Acts Apostle Paul 16, 16. It happened as we went to prayer. What were they, where were they going? To pray. Talk to God. That a certain slave girl, she was possessed with a spirit of divination. She met us. And notice this. She brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Should we go to fortune tellers? Lord, no. Lord, no. If most of them, if they obviously really know what they're doing, they're connected with demons. If they don't, they're just messing with you with a bunch of slick stuff anyway. 17, this girl followed Paul and us, and she cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Anything wrong with that? Their day it was. There was something wrong with that. Was she saying something that was true? Yeah. Were they servants of the Most High God? Yes. Were they there to pro proclaim salvation? Yes. But in every city where they went and this was proclaimed, what happened? They got attacked. They got attacked. They weren't afraid to share the gospel, but they didn't need somebody trying to go around. What's this demon trying to do, folks? Stir up the whole city against Paul. That's what he's trying to do. So notice this, verse 18. And this she did for many days, but Paul, underline it, greatly annoyed. He rose up. He said, enough's enough. Fed up with you, demon. See, a lot of people put up with stuff that Satan tries to put on them. And I guarantee you what, you need to rise up and say, enough's enough. I'm getting mad at this condition. This ain't going to continue to go on. We're not going to keep allowing this demon to shout all this stuff out and try to cause problems for us. I have authority. I have authority. I have authority. I have authority. Enough's enough, body. You've been attacked long enough with something that don't belong to you. Uh-uh, I'm not putting up with this. Oh, thank you for all your amens on my message tonight. Notice this, he uh, greatly annoyed, did what? He turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Use your authority. Use your authority. Sickness and disease, you're trespassing on my body. You're not Lord over my body. Jesus is Lord over my body. I command you to leave my body now in Jesus' name. I'm not putting up with you. Not putting up with you. Not putting up with you poverty and lack. Come on, I'm not putting up with you confusion in my family. No, I know who the author of confusion is. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You listening? So there comes a point when you got to get mad at the stuff of what Satan's trying to do, the condition. Rise up and do something about it. Use your God-given authority. Number two, don't take the blame. Realize who the enemy is. If it obviously is an attack of Satan, don't blame yourself for this. Now, if you've permitted it somehow, we'll talk about that. You can, there's things you can do to obviously deal with that and close the door. But realize who the attacker is. And a lot of times people blame themselves all the time for situations in their life. How many know what John 10, 10, the first part of John 10, 10 says? The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Anything coming against you to steal, kill, or destroy, guess what? That ain't from you. That ain't from you. That ain't from another believer. That's from the devil. That's from the devil. Don't blame yourself. Realize who the real enemy is. You can't overcome the enemy if you don't label him. If you don't acknowledge who he is. Right? I've told you this before. What if I have thoughts about me that don't go in line with the Bible? Did I think those thoughts? No. Those are called fiery darts. Don't put up with those. Realize who they're coming from. Come on, somebody. Help me preach tonight. Y'all are way too quiet for me. Who, who, who should you recognize as bringing these fire darts? That's the devil. These are demon thoughts. These are demon. It don't mean some demon's just following you around. They're in the earth, man. You kidding me? Turn your TV on. They're coming through that television all the time. They're everywhere. Are you listening? 
So anything relating to what's coming out of the world is not going to obviously most of the time line up with God. Well, those thoughts are going to eventually stick around. You're going to hear them. So guess what? Just realize who the enemy is. Amen. Go to Ephesians 4. Let's look at this one real quick. Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Number three, you need to stop the avenue of approach. If you can recognize what the enemy's doing to come at you as it relates to something in your life, then do what you can to shut it down. So you got to understand, just like a natural war, if you're going to defeat an enemy, you know, you got to realize where they're going to attack next, where they're going to come from. And if you can stop their approach, guess what you can do? You can stop the attack before it even happens a lot of times. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, 25. Therefore, put away, putting away, lying, let each of us do what? Speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. How many know it's not good to lie? At any time, it's not good to lie. Who's the father of lies? If you want to stop his approach in some areas of your life, don't lie to people. Don't lie to people. 26, be angry and do not what? Be angry and do not what? Do not sin, nor let the sun go down in your wrath. Now, there's different interpretations of this. You know, there is what's known as a righteous anger. He's not saying it's okay to get mad and angry at people. Just get rid of it before you go to bed. Actually, if you study this out, now I know there's, again, there's a debate about this, but when you look at it in the whole of the context of Scripture, even what it's saying here, is it saying it's okay for me to get mad at somebody? No. He's telling you don't lie to people, so is he saying it's okay to get mad? No, he's not. He said, be angry and sin not. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Meaning that you should get angry about what Satan's doing. You should never stop being angry about what Satan's doing. Don't cause it to lead you to sin. Don't let it go beyond Satan and now attack people. I actually believe that's the interpretation. I believe that's the original Greek rendering. Everybody else has always interpreted this. I say everybody, a lot of people. It's okay to get mad at people. Just don't allow it to lead you to sin. But before you go to bed, you got to deal with it and get rid of it. Number one, don't wait till you go to bed. Don't wait till you get to bed and say, okay, am I angry at anybody? Am I supposed to let the sun go down in my wrath? Better deal with that. No, you should have dealt with it right then. You don't ever have to worry about that. Ever, ever, ever. But I believe that actually, I believe it was Brother Hagin. I, I want to credit the right person. I can't remember 100% for sure. Him or Lester Summerall that pointed this out to me. They said, this has been mistaught for years. The context here is that you are to be angry. Well, okay, so what does the Bible say it's okay to get angry about? Not people. Why would the Bible be encouraging you to be angry but don't sin? That, that goes counter counterintuitive to one another. So be angry at what? Be angry at the things God's angry about. Do you know there's things God's angered about? Every work of Satan. You know the Bible says he hates it? He hates it. So you should be angry about the work of Satan because if you're angry about the work of Satan, you'll do something about it. Hallelujah. Just don't, lead it, don't let it lead you over into the flesh. Deal with it spiritually. Hallelujah. Don't notice again. So, therefore, be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, 27, nor give place to the devil. Do what you can to keep the door closed. Don't open opportunities to give him more advantage to your life with things you know you shouldn't be involved with, listen to, or obviously take part in. 28, let him who stole, should do what? Still no more. No, let him labor. Working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to what? Give to him who has need. Now, that's exactly what Brother Terry Mize was talking about when he was here. Live to give. We don't, live to, we don't work to live. We live to give. We're working to give. 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? This would include foul language. That, that it may impart what? Grace to the hearers. Amen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Why? Because this just opens the door for the devil. You listening? Be what? Kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Could I put, could I put an exclamation part on those verses in relationship to other people? Walk in love. Walk in love. You won't do those things. Choose love. Choose to act in love. So, again, really important. You need to understand this. Number three, you got to stop the avenue approach of the enemy. If I'm at fault, if I'm saying things I shouldn't, doing things I shouldn't, that's opening that door, close the door. Do what's necessary to close the door. Make sure you're not giving him any place in your life. Amen. 
How do we give place to Satan in our life? Can you help me? I'll tell you real quick so I'm running out of time. You give in to the flesh. Walk in the spirit. You'll never fulfill the desires of the flesh. You'll never give Satan a place in your life. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Number four, you need to shift over to what? Positive resistance. Submit to God. Positive resistance. If you submit to God, what are you doing? Resisting the devil. What are you, what's he going to do? Flee from you. What's Luke 6, 46 through 49 say? Jesus said, come to me, hear what I say, do it. And when storms come, you won't even be shaken. So see, the storm will come, but it won't shake you. Are you listening? Because you're founded on a rock. You're doing what I told you. If you do what I told you, you're submitting to God. You're automatically what? Resisting the devil. Doesn't mean the storms don't come, but they won't even shake you. And when the storm's gone, guess what you're going to do? You'll still be standing. You know what that means? I win. I win. Tell your neighbor, I win. Number five, you need to calculate the damage done. What? Proverbs 20. Go to Proverbs 20. If the enemy does begin to cause some harm or damage in your life, or in any way, in your family, in your personal life, in your health, in any way, guess what you got to do? You got to do some damage assessment. Because if you don't, you won't know what to do from here. I need to do some damage assessment. If there's been some harm done in my relationship with my spouse, I better do some damage assess, uh, assessment so I can know, okay, this, I need to fix that. See, I didn't, if I wouldn't have taken the time to learn the stupid stuff I was doing that was wrong in my relationship, no damage assessment. I'm not looking at what the enemy's done to take advantage of my life to get me in the flesh. So if I'm not taking damage assessment, guess what I don't know? I don't know how to correct it. I don't know how to correct it. But if I obviously look at what I'm doing in relationship to any, the enemy advantaging, getting advantage of my life, damage assessment, I can correct it. I can fix it. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 18. Plans are established by counsel. Listen to this. But wise counsel, woo, come on. Wise count, by wise counsel, what do you do? You wage war. You wage war. Now, what is wise counsel? Don't go to elders in the church. Don't go to deacons in the church. Don't go to other believers when it comes to specific issues of counseling in your life beyond what obviously basic things of Scripture would reveal. You better be going to spiritual leadership. So it doesn't just mean you go to listen to anybody's counsel. But when you get Bible counsel, say Bible counsel. When you get Scripture backing up what somebody's telling you, guess what you got? You got what you need to go to war. Can I get a better amen? So damage has been done. I get Bible counsel of how to address that. If I don't know, if I get Bible counsel how to fix it, guess what? Now I can go to war. And now I can win the victory there. Hallelujah. Number six, you need to also do what? You got to realize it won't just go away. Meaning what? Tax of the enemy don't just go away. You're supposed to do something about them. I don't have time to turn there, but 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul tells Timothy here, you need to wage a good warfare over the prophecies concerning you. So, there's been things prophesied about your life, Timothy. Satan doesn't want them to come to pass. He's attacked you. He's come against you. Notice what he tells him to do. Wage a good warfare. Wage a good warfare. So, what does this mean? Don't just sit back and think it's going to go away, Timothy. Don't just think these attacks are just going to fall by the wayside. You need to wage a good warfare against these attacks until you get the victory. Can I get a better amen? amen. Simple, simple truth about this. Don't be passive when it comes to attacks of the enemy. You listen to me? Go on the offensive. Rise up and go on the offensive. It's not just going to go away. Go after it. I said, go after it. I said, go after it. Number seven, therefore do what? Aggressively attack scripturally. Aggressively attack scripturally. Revelation 12, 11, we sang it tonight. What's the Revelation 12, 11 verse say? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, not loving our lives to the death. Well, you overcome by what the blood accomplished for you and you testifying to it. So you've got to aggressively attack scripturally. Your testimony by what the blood of Jesus did is aggressively attacking the enemy. Every time you're facing a battle or a challenge, I don't care how often that pain rises up in your body, how often that thought comes, if you know what the blood of Jesus did to sever it, you got scripture for it, guess what you do? You testify. Every time. Every time. Let me remind you, Satan, what my Jesus did. Let me remind you, Satan, what the blood of Jesus did for me. Let me remind you, Satan, what the blood of Jesus accomplished in my life. And then you better decree the Word of God. Because it's a sword of the Spirit. 
and it's living and powerful. A lot of Christians are way too passive. Way too passive. Satan is not. Satan is not a passive, per, a passive spirit. He is an attacking spirit. But you should turn around and put him on the run in Jesus' name. And number eight, we will look at this. Go to Isaiah. Go to the Isaiah verse. Chapter five. You're still in Proverbs, so you're close by. Turn to Isaiah. This is powerful. I want you to go back and look at these notes later again. We've kind of had to brush through them quickly. So much to teach on. Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5. Number 8. Fortify this area of your life for future attacks. Meaning what? If you've been attacked somewhere, fortify that area. If it's a constant thing, recognize I'm probably a little weak here. I need to fortify this area. Think of it this way. Scripture says it. Guess what Satan looks for? He looks for the weak area. He looks for the weak area. If you look at your life almost like I'm in the center and there's a perimeter around my life, because this is what Scripture teaches us about protection over our life. You can't just say, oh, God's put a hedge of protection about. I love Tim Hawkins, hilarious comedy. You know, why a hedge? Why not a concrete wall? (laughs) If it's just a hedge, surely he's got some clippers, you know. He can just clip right through the, the hedge, you know. But a lot of people just claim hedge of protection. Let me help you. He's given you, through the Word, the ability to protect your life, but Satan knows where your weakness is. Say, you better know, but don't stay weak there. This is a, don't, don't find out I'm weak there and just stay weak there. What should you do? Fortify that part of the, he, of, the, of the wall. Fortify that part of your life. Build that thing up so Satan can't get in next time. Or it's so easy for him to keep. You should know. Every one of you should know there's errors in your life. Shouldn't be hard to figure out. Where does Satan get to me the easiest? Where does he get to me the easiest? Well, you ought to recognize that's a weak area. I need to do what? Fortify that area. I need to become stronger there. Are you listening? If Satan's always, always causing you to feel defeated or down and out or even proud or you know, anything about yourself that's not finding your worth in God, you better go find your worth in God because if not, he's going to keep coming back. If it's a health issue all the time, you better go get in the word on healing. You better go get some scriptures to fortify you, get stronger about the revelation of your healing. It's not hard to figure out. Where do I need to work on, Pastor? Where are you weakest? Where are you weakest? Fortify yourself. And Satan have a lot harder time. Are you listening? Attacking you in that area. So I'm going to quote Hosea 4.6a to you. Hosea 4.6a says, My people are destroyed, New King James, for a lack of knowledge. Why are they destroyed? Lack of knowledge. Isaiah is a, is a companion verse to that. Isaiah 5, 13, in case you've never seen it before, you ought to underline it. Notice what God said here through the prophet Isaiah. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity. They've been taken captive by an enemy. Really? Why? Because they have no knowledge. How can Satan take you captive? Not having the knowledge of God. Not knowing who you are in Christ. Not knowing what you have in Christ. Not knowing what all Christ provided for you through his shed blood. You listening? Because they have no knowledge. They're honorable men, therefore what? They're famished. They have nothing to eat. And their multitude are dried up with thirst. Why? They, they lack knowledge. So child of God, let me help you. How do you fortify yourself? Knowledge from the word of God. Faith begins, listen, Uh, Faith begins where the Word of God is known. Knowledge. Faith begins where the Word of God is known. When you begin to get knowledge of the Word, what you have in Christ, faith begins. Faith begins to rise up in your heart. But I'll guarantee you, when you are weak in the area, you got to fortify yourself. How are you going to fortify yourself? Knowledge. I need knowledge of what Christ did for me. I need knowledge of the Word of God. As a new covenant believer, I need knowledge of my new covenant rights in Christ, my position in Christ. It relates to what you're dealing with. Relates to what you're dealing with. So what you're weak in, I've got to go get extra knowledge in that area to fortify myself. Because the only reason people are taken captive is because of what? They lack knowledge. People are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. See, if the devil knows you don't know who you are in Christ, not hard for him to mess with you. Not hard for him to take advantage of you. Right? But if you know who you are in Christ, much tougher. If he knows you don't really believe in healing, not too hard for him to attack your body. You listening? If he knows you don't believe that obviously God wants you blessed and prosperous, not too hard to take advantage of you. A couple things break down. You don't take your authority. All of a sudden, money, you know, problems start piling up. I guarantee what? If you don't have knowledge in who you are in Christ in these things, not as hard for Satan to take advantage of you. What if you got knowledge? Much harder. 
Much harder. Because if you're fortified in that area, the minute the attack comes, you know what to do. The minute the attack comes, you know what to say. Because you know what the Word of God says. Can I get a better amen? We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.